Good afternoon, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Uh, I can't complain. Shall we introduce? We've got two guests today. What a treat. It's a, it is a treat. One of them is our former producer slash now editor who's been editing our podcast. Uh, my girlfriend, Emma. Emma, welcome to the podcast after all this time. Thank you. It's good to be here. So it many is. times we heard her voice, but the listeners didn't hear her voice. Yeah, maybe they like heard they're all her catching up. Vaguely through the, the headphone system we used to they have. They heard our silences and then reacting to whatever she said. Maybe yep. they heard me internet while you were talking. Looking yes. at fashion articles, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not listening to the show. Yeah. Um, welcome our second guest, Damien Kelly. Damien, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Thank it's you, Luke. Um, now, can you tell our listeners, uh, I guess, why you're here or what you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, my background's uh, graphic design and branding and, and packaging. Uh, I've spent the last probably 15 years focusing on the, the, the beer category and uh, love it. Cool. Um, now, we branding's something we've talked about quite a bit over the years. Um, over the years. Give me a break. It's been like... I, I don't know, we've been going for two years. Is it two or is uh, it? Maybe not quite two. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I don't know. Um, digress. And I, and I think it's an interesting thing that doesn't get talked about heaps. And, and I guess that's why we've got a, a graphic designer or two graphic designers and someone that's been involved in, um, in branding as well. Um, you were involved in the, you said off mic before, you in the James Squire uh, rebrand from a few years ago. Yep. And you've been involved in a few other rebrands over the years. Yeah. Um, how did you get into it? Like, wh- what's your ah, uh, background before beer? Background before beer was uh, wine. Uh, so, I worked for a business that uh, did a lot of fast-moving consumer goods packaging, and uh, they had a wine client, and that wine client got bought out by Foster's back in the day, and so that was Mildara Blast, and which then became uh, uh, Beringer Blast, and and so on, and now it's known as Treasury Wine Estates. So got involved in a lot of wine packaging and um, when those businesses were merged, uh, we, we got an opportunity, I was working for a big agency that got an opportunity in the beer space and uh, started working on a, on a beer called Carlton Dry. Um, back in the day when it, looked, uh, when it looked like some sort of weird nightclub kind of beer. And Isn't it still a weird nightclub kind of beer? <laughs> <laughs> Probably marketed as, but it doesn't look like a a bad kind of premix drink, like a weird vodka drink that it, di- that it did back then, back in the day. So um, Corona was huge, of course, and it had no real competitor except for Tui's Extra Dry, and Foster's were looking at um, taking on uh, Ted, as it's known, kind of in the market. So that was the opening, and um, at that particular point in time, uh, there were a lot of restructures within Foster's, and it, uh, a different marketing strategy meant that they wanted to look at the Carlton... Uh, portfolio as a master brand and so we designed the whole Carlton range and, and it kind of went from there and um, I guess uh, got to work on Crown uh, did the first Crown Ambassador um, when that was released and that's how I met uh, Brad Rogers for the first time when he was uh, it was brewed by Brad um, and uh, yeah worked across VB Pure Blonde Kind of, you name it. Probably everything except for uh, except for Matilda Bay back in those days. Then changed agencies, went to Lion. Uh, sorry, went to an agency that was their major branding and strategic partner for, for Lion. And um, yeah, Squires was one of the rebrands, uh, which is great. Did you have a um, a social interest in beer before you got involved in the branding of the beer brands? Yeah, I grew up with my father as a home brewer. Oh, okay, and. Um, watched him go through that entire 
kind of journey back in the day when it was just basic Cooper's kits. I think it was when I was working with Lion that I really started to get into craft in a big, as, a, as a consumer in a big way and um, my interest kind of took off from there and then kind of looked at uh, home brewing and went well what's happening in that space as well as you know can you do good craft beer because I just recalled my dad's basic lagers it's the uh, Cooper's kit kind of yep. it's almost a hangover where people that have been given so many bottles over the years of it think yep. every home brew is going to be that right yep so was your yep. dad brewing for uh, quantity reasons rather than just to play around and experiment uh, I think uh, an interest into tinker. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he had a mate who used to do it and he got into it and um, kind of went from there. So they'd have this little mini home brew club and uh, after playing footy on a Sunday, we'd go to someone else's house a, uh, in that little circuit and, you know, they'd get stuck into the kind of home brews. Yeah. <laughs> That's good though. That's a good way to build a culture though, I think. Yeah. Definitely. Um, before we go on, uh, we should mention where we are and what we're drinking because... I'm sure our listeners care about those oh, kind of things. Just can't wait to find out. Yeah. Um, BBC Beer Cafe, Belgian Beer Cafe in, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you drinking, Emma? Um, I can't recall. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's that good. And how is it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it good? It's fine. It's fine. It's the Hargreaves Hill Hefeweizen. Uh, I got yeah. it for you. So. It, look, it's good. It's probably not as uh, estuary as a usual hef. Mm. It's probably a little bit light on the palate, um, but do I'm you, enjoying it. Do you prefer esters? Yes, I do. I like that banana taste. That's why I like German beers. Mm. Mm. Dave? I've got Hendo's uh, Out of Sight White, which is tasting so good. Uh, and I mentioned you before, it tastes like the sort of IPA that we are seeking we at the moment. Yeah, that we just, yeah, we can't stop, we won't shut up about um, so, yes, it's working a treat for me. Hmm. Are you drinking the same thing? Absolutely. Love it. I'm drinking the Hargreaves Hill Triple. I reckon it was really good. 9.2%, yeah. and I have, I'm the only one that's finished my glass right mm-hmm. now. So, I'm probably going to um, just ease off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of German beers, uh, you mentioned you like your German beer. We've just been to the Hop House uh, German beer hall, I think they call it something like that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, for Oktoberfest started today. I've never been to an Oktoberfest event. No, well, no, no one, nor sorry. have I. One, have you? What was lo- your first experience? The local tap house. Oh, okay. And I've never really had any interest in Oktoberfest. Um, I don't know why. Because you don't think you like German beer. That's probably a good reason. Um, what about Emma? You like German beer? Like Do you German have an interest beer. in Oktoberfest? As much as I like to drink German beer, but that's probably where it ends. I don't like novelty surrounding alcohol. Mm. I don't like people who go out and just get trashed for the sake of it. Mm. So I probably steer away from events in that sense. Like if I want a German beer, I'll just go to a bottle shop and buy a German beer and drink a German beer. You don't need to put on an outfit. Yeah, I don't need to put on an outfit. I'm not want for German beer as a general rule. but, you know, it was a nice environment. There weren't too many dickheads. Hey, it was um, early. The dickheads could, is, could that, yet that reveal themselves. I <laughs> yeah. saw a lot of um, dashans on the way. That yeah. was the highlight Which so far the highlight. of the day, yeah. All along the South Bank, just a bunch that of dashans. They had a sausage dog race as part of the, the German event. And I kind of like that because it's kind of... I, I, I'm the same as you. I don't like German or the Oktoberfest vibe because it's such a... A big boozy, mm. crowded thing, and that's the kind of not what I like. Seems very cliched as well, doesn't it? Yeah, but to have a sausage dog race and 
I think that's pretty fun. I saw a Dashian that was wearing a full suit dressed up like the Flash, which, I mean, I had two thoughts on it. One, it was adorable. Two, I don't think he can run very fast. His little legs. So um, He's not really the Flash. No. I, don't kind of like I didn't buy it is what I'm saying. Yeah, Kind of like Big John, um, the True. ironic Big John name. He's the Flash, but he's little legs. What are your thoughts on um, Oktoberfest? And <laughs> and sausage dogs. <laughs> and sausage dogs. <laughs> I like the sausage dogs. Yeah. The, I, just, um, I know nothing about Oktoberfest. Neither do we. I come from zero understanding, so I'm not really in a position. This is also part of like the conversation we had earlier. It was like, why does anyone embrace that culture here? Because <laughs> like we've got no history. Well, it's like here. St. Patrick's Day. Like True. St. Patrick's Day is not that? a thing yeah. in Ireland, but it's a thing here. I think it's a lot of expats and I think Australian culture just goes stupid for alcohol and an excuse to get pissed. On the, on the, 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 the reverse of that, Australia Day here is a thing, mm. but it's not like a huge event. Whereas in the ski fields in Canada, in Whistler and I don't know any other ski fields, I mean, uh, it's That's a huge day. Huge day there. Australia Day? Australia Day. And, and okay, so looking at Oktoberfest, which is just like a, a photocopy of German culture mm-hmm. here, what does it look like in Whistler? I haven't been. Oh. I can't tell you. I thought you, you were saying, like, oh. you looked like you were talking that up like you'd been. No, no, like, I heard stories from people and reports that, like, Australia Day is way bigger there than it is here. That would be know. really interesting because I was saying earlier about the whole, you know, Oktoberfest is very, uh, like, Everyone looks like a caricature of German culture, yeah. With the leading hose and and whatnot. So I met. I wonder what Australians. I'm prepared look to like say there's a few Canada. like cork hats yeah. going around. Yeah, yeah, Fosters. Yeah. And and I guess is. I mean, the impression that I get of Oktoberfest in in Germany is that it's basically the same thing as what we get here in terms of bad leader hose and giant sweet beers. Yeah. But it plays to the tourists over there. Yeah. Like it's at, like if you were to do a sort of poll, where are you from? No one would be German. That all be yeah, you'd be yeah, it'd be tourist based. Yeah, tourists, you're right. Yeah. Now one of the things we a little bit of a tangent that I want to touch on mm-hmm. the cork hat. That's practical. Why is it? It's such a caricature these days. No one's wearing them. Keeps the there flies aren't that away. Many flies in the city, I guess. Yeah, maybe you uh, don't. You don't. When was the last time you were in the outback? Big yeah. differ. I would love but something to of bullshit. Blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. It should be more flies, man. Yeah. <laughs> Can't believe it. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I was thinking about, and I, I we mentioned before we got here, um, things like Oktoberfest, the big brands don't touch them. Like uh, you've never seen CUB or, or Lion do an Oktoberfest mm. campaign. Do you think they could from a branding perspective, Damien? I think it comes down to authenticity. And probably not having the right platform to build on. Yeah. So they probably avoid something along those lines. Or, or they have so many um, import contracts that, yeah, use that to leverage. It's a dicey, know, dicey territory for them to get into? I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe they just, maybe it's just less relevant and for their brands. Um, but maybe the, the licensed brands, yeah, maybe they could. But not sure why, yeah. Uh, there's so many other things going on, like competing for a share of kind of voice, I guess, like with the AFL Grand Final and you know CUB's focus is obviously on Colton. And well, speaking of that, they're striking. Well, there's rumours of a Brewers strike 
Yes. Before the grand final and the, the all the media coverage is like, mm. there's going to be no beer for the grand final. It's not really how it works. But it's also not like the media to try and strike a panic for no good reason, though, is it? No, no. It's a good angle from the Herald mm. Sun. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, I just want to take a quick break and then we'll come back and we'll uh, get into some discussion of branding, um, some James Squire stuff. I'm really keen to hear about the process behind that. All right, welcome back. Dave, you've just got yourself a beer that looks I pretty did. dark. What did you I get? I got the um, Wayward India Red Ale, mm. and it is dark, and it is kind of um, uh, brownie, actually, which is not unpleasant. In mm. taste-wise. Yeah, it's kind of uh, chocolatey, a little bit bitter. So, Damien, uh, James Squire, you, you mentioned you're involved in it, and you could sort of talk about that uh, on mic, which is great, because it's, it's rare that I think anyone gets an insight into how the big brands come about with the, the labels Yeah, what the process see. is, you're right. So, I guess, where do you, where do you start with a, something like a James Squire? Yeah, okay. Um, you start, or the big guys start with strategy uh, and also research. So, uh, that they'll, they'll look at what's happening in the marketplace, um, predicting the future trends, uh, looking at what the scope is for a brand like that and... Um, they identified early on that they were uh, that craft was taking off. It was getting some really good growth, and that the Squires brand was um, basically just on par with growth. But at the time, it was still the the mainstream leader. Uh, and when was this? Sorry, when? How many years ago was this? Oh, it's a good question. It's probably about six, seven years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be. A, be around that time, yeah. And that, that's pretty much the ground the floor of what we're seeing now. Like yeah, yeah. It's probably yep. when when we both got into it. Yep. Um, about that time. So yeah. Yeah, and the actual the actual packaging itself at the time was seen as um, uh, a bit of a impediment to to trial. It was looking like a brand for connoisseurs. It, it was this really kind of dusty old um, parchment with a lot of text on it and it looked like a brand for beer connoisseurs it wasn't very inviting but as the category leader they kind of identified that yeah there was great growth opportunity for to bring a you know more mainstream consumers as a as i guess uh, as an entree into craft and that's where the growth would come from for a brand like that so that's kind of the starting point um and from there we we work with them on on the research about understanding and uncovering what was the the gold in that brand and uh james squire as a brand really is uh it's uh it's a homage to you know supposedly australia's first brewer really that's what it is and um it was really about how do we bring this character to life and and in research he was uh an amazing fellow um uh when they went through um you know kind of what he got up to uh, all the stories that are, are on the pack, really, they're, n- they're not made up. They're, that's kind of what he did. Um, so it was, okay, well, let's look at that brand and um, how do we bring that to life? And it was really about bringing the persona of, the, of James Squire to life because it's a homage to him. So just for me to try and track uh, which shift this was, is yep. this when they started to name yes. the, in- the, the beers yep. themselves? Because yep. yep. they were initially just... James Squire's IPA, yes, James Squire exactly. Porter, was that correct? That's right. So, 
what I guess what we can start to get into is um, breaking down the core components of uh, meaning and recognition. And so some of the challenges with that brand at that point in time was, well, it was really hard to identify the different variants. So consumers would go and they'd buy the, the, the golden ale. Uh, then they'd go back and they'd accidentally pick up something else because the labels were so sure. similar. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then they go, oh, I don't really like that. And that turns them off the brand. So it wasn't very shoppable. So that's where the science of, um, I guess, uh, the shoppability aspect comes in. So, okay, let's give um, every, every variant a colour. Let's give it a name. Let's give it an icon. And that allows us to, one, dial up personality uh, and bring the stories, those brand, the chapters of his life, I guess, uh, to life. And that's pretty much how that, that rolled out. And it was, it was an evolution. It was a, it was a good step. It was by no means leaving everything you know behind we, we kept the parchment um we kind of coined the phrase the charming rogue and, and bringing that to life was what we were all about hmm. yeah with that job james square is an interesting one because i guess I, i've always been critical on my on my website of a lot of the big brands i've never i think they've always ha- had a really good place in the market james squire it's the years are really consistent and i quite like going to their brew pub in the city and, and trying what they've got on so yeah, I think they've built that unique position based on on, on that rebranding. Hmm. Um, how how do you see it now? And, and I guess what's the growth for them? Like, are they do they need to change their brand, or do you think they should keep it as it is? Oh, good question. <laughs> uh, um, I no longer work for the agency that did that. The agency that did that is no longer around. Um, so it's since moved on, and uh, and I guess um, being a bit of a designer. Kind of don't like how they're evolving. Some of the when news when did you news, leave? Getting when, when did you stop working on the? Uh, oh, probably four years ago. Okay, yeah. so you weren't a part of the abomination <laughs> that I've seen at train stations where it was today I'm your friend, tomorrow I'm your enemy. I don't know no. what that means. Yeah. Oh wait, was that the big bearded yes guys? Yeah. yeah, that was weird. I don't understand what that yeah. means. Why are you my enemy tomorrow? Uh, Do I not buy it tomorrow? Yeah, yeah, we didn't uh, get involved in that. That's the communication agency. So, um, yeah, Lion have their comms agencies. They have their below-the-line communication agencies that do all the trade promotions. Right, okay. Uh, They have their digital agency who handles their websites and they have their branding and strategy agencies who I worked for. So, uh, we developed um, the brand visual language and we pass it on to the comms guys. How dangerous is that when you have so many different stakeholders and so many different agencies and you've got, uh, you've you've created a brand that is strong and is a, you know, has a narrative and then you've got to make sure that that gets rolled across all those different facets of design. How do you ensure that it's done right and it's clear and the narrative stays true to the original strategy? Well... One of the tools that we would develop as a part of a, a rebrand for, for Lion would be to create a, um, it's like, it's not really a guidelines, it's really, um, it's, a, it's a brand book and it's mm. a document that documents the storytell uh, and we would develop some aesthetic principles which is um, how to keep uh, congruent, visual congruency so that you can get um, from your pack to your outdoor to your point of sale, uh, there's a toolkit that was supplied and handed on so that uh, mm. those guys could work with you know the foundations that we created and they can build in their communication piece which might be uh, um, some kind of uh, idea that you know 
activates the brand in, in some kind of way and, and give it their spin. Depending on the agency's desire to honour that or not, yeah. um, and depending on the yeah the, the strength of the brand manager and probably the sophistication of the brand manager determines how that's rolled out. Yeah. yeah. And do you think it's been honoured in James Squire or do you think it's I gone... I think they did a pretty good job, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think they took they took on board a lot. So all the typography and the backgrounds. I mean, whether you like the stuff with the bearded guys or not, uh, it, it still looks and feels like James Squire, which it's I think still is still within that brand so, wheelhouse. Yeah, it's about awareness. Yeah, and and you know, in, in, in any comms, it, it really is about um, memorability and awareness. You know, you don't want to go off on a tangent. Well, it's so often the case is they mm. go off right off on a tangent that you know they can remember the ad, but they don't know who it's for. Yeah. And what was that process of, um, of you know, researching whether or not the consumer would actually uh, respond positively to yep. the brand that you created or you were wanting to create? Yeah, so all the, we went through a round of, uh, of concepts mm. uh, for, for Squires. Um, we probably presented about 12 different directions where they could go in from a primary bottle point of view. And then we get the feedback from the client. It's quite a, it's quite a lengthy process. Um, with uh, with big beer, when you say uh, lengthy, six months, a yeah, year, yeah, six months. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we narrow it down. Uh, we worked we worked with a, a really awesome guy who was a, a strategist as well as uh, as a researcher. It's quite often rare to get really really good savvy researchers, but he was he was brilliant. Um, he, uh, his name's Oliver from Stent. <laughs> Give him a plug. Give him a plug, yeah. <laughs> Oliver. I. Um, and he was fantastic. So he would. What we would do is we'd go in quite early with the designs. And what we're not testing is uh, whether you like the design or not. It's mm. what story, what symbolism is resonating. Find out what meaning is resonating with consumers, and then we would tweak it and develop it and refine it from there. So we go in fairly early with initial concepts, work out what what's great, what people are responding to, um, and off the back of that, yeah, I, uh, we develop it. And do you um, did you find any sort of resistance, or did you think that there would be a problem with having a male protagonist for a female consumer? Would did you consider that to be alienating, or was that not an issue? That, I mean, that's a hot button issue, sort of now. The the marketing of beer is is sort of male dominated, I guess. And I don't think that James Gore is overtly sexist mm. but w- was that ever a conversation throughout the process throughout the strategy uh, no it was more how can we bring the persona of this man to life and tell the chapters mm. of his life so we used each variant to bring an aspect of his life to life because that would also encourage shoppers to navigate and shop throughout the range yeah. throughout the portfolio uh, yeah I, I'm not sure that we were aware of focusing on a male persona and that that might be off-putting so mm. much uh, that, that probably wasn't it's on the radar. It's probably a difficult um, other than it's, to it's say probably no. a difficult approach because it's not a fictional character it's a real man that you're yeah. trying to tell stories of so um, but then when you look at the, the recent that, one it? with uh, the guys on the the you know the big bearded guys the bus stop pictures with the... Yeah, they are overtly that's targeting a, a male... Oh, yeah. I don't even know if I've seen those. I think... You know, the, what the, are those? The today, Not tomorrow... No, that that one? Yeah. I mean, it's there. It's present. Right. It's a so, present. So how do, you, how do you, I guess, as a female consumer, see those, I guess, the James Squire brand as a whole, and then that secondary 
I, don't, I think that the James Squire, those posters that we're referring to that are in bus shelters with the, with the bearded man, yeah. they're not, I don't think they're overtly as sexist as the ad that we saw for, uh, I can't quite remember, I think it was maybe for a very big, big brewery Carlton draft beer. Where he, he he goes on an adventure and he's fighting with his oh, girlfriend. Han, the new Han the Han Han. Oh, the experience yeah, yeah. one. The, yeah, one? experience. Which you is involved in those, were you? <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I did do the rebrand on Han and, and know a bit about that. I mean, yeah. you look at the heritage of that brand. It's like the guy bombing in the sh- in the spa and yeah. splashing his girlfriend and yeah. Going, so and, oh, and that's what? kind of the that's, that's kind of, I guess the not quite sexist, but. Straight at, at male stuff, mm. whereas yeah. James Squire, I guess, is just a man that's yeah. the story, right? Yeah, I, I know. I just think it's interesting, and you know that I find it interesting that inanimate objects get assigned gender in terms of marketing. So, you know, flavoured milk is marketed towards men. That's because mm. uh, men drink it, and it's. Men drink it in Australia. Coming from New Zealand yeah. to Australia and seeing flavoured milk ads targeted at men, I was just like. This is a weird thing. Yeah. It's sort of yeah. chicken and egg, drink. though, when it comes to advertising and marketing. Like, you're, you're advertising towards a demographic, but how do you know if it's not a price, like, you know, as a result of the advertising? So, more men drink flavoured milk because they've been advertised to, as opposed to more men drink... No, it's the beverage. I've had a bit of, a bit of work in flavoured milk and, you know... Yeah. It's overtly sweet, highly sugared, just as much as Coke, kind of sweet milk. And the drinker are looking for a bit of a kick. It's young, young mm. males and, and kind of tradies and stuff like that. Is that's where the volume comes from? And I think it's it's knowing who's drinking it and it's targeting. I can also imagine that you would have separate marketing strategies for trying to push into new markets and get new um, customers and. Appealing to your existing customer base, and if you've got an over, if you've got an overwhelmingly male customer base that you want to appeal to in that campaign or whatever, then that's sort of natural, I think, to target that audience. Yeah, yeah, they do want to grow. Any, of course, yeah, any brand wants to wants to grow, and uh, yeah, they're they're pitching to where they see the opportunities you know, in terms of that growth, but. Um, yeah, it's a bit like uh, canned meat. Women don't eat canned meat. Which does who does, does eat canned anyone? meat? Yeah. Does anyone eat canned yeah, meat? Men do. Yeah, really? my, my dad would yeah. eat canned Absolutely. meat. Absolutely. generation, Your dad, surely. right, okay. What tuna's a canned meat? What do you do with it? How do you oh, prepare it? I eat tuna. It? Yeah. I eat tuna. Oh, does that count? I mean canned red yeah, meat. Yeah, I know. So I know. Like <laughs> meatballs, anything like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things. But well, it's interesting you said... That is a really targeted male marketing campaign. All of those like Heinz... Cans of yep. bolognese, or yeah, you, that's yeah. a good point. The um, the point about I guess young males wanting a sweet kick uh, and, and chocolate milk, something I never really thought about. Um, and as I said, you know, coming to Australia and seeing ads for chocolate milk for men was weird. But <laughs> don't you remember the Big M girl? You, did you not get her in the spa? In not the, in New Zealand. In so oh, it's a, it's a whole when was this? I don't even remember this. How old are you? <laughs> 29. Yeah, you're probably... Before my time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was a kid. The 70s with a heyday. Right, okay. Yeah, the big M girl, the big M calendars, girls straddling motorbikes. Right. Big M's, it's... Yeah, that's its heritage. When, when you look at, I guess, um, the taste of big beer, like Carlton Draft or VB, 
they're really sweet to me. Like if I was to have one now, it's just way too sweet. Like a VB to me is the sweetest, one of the sweetest beers I could have. And I guess that tracks with that sort of chocolate milk, you know, you have a pie and a chocolate milk and then you finish work and have a palmer and a sweet beer. That Well, it's funny because I'm happier, if I'm forced to drink garbage, I'm happier having a <laughs> Carlton Mid at the footy than going to a bar next to the ground and having a VB schooner. Cal- I would it's drink much more a Carlton Mid yeah. over a Carlton full strength yeah. any day of the week because it's not as sweet. Exactly, yeah. That's interesting. I, Yeah, I've, I've never really thought of it like that, but... Uh, Pellets are sweeter these days with younger consumers. Mm. So um, what the big guys will find is that a lot of the younger guys, you know, that's why Carlton Dry and those kind of beers do really well with them because it's not very beery. The whole palate's changed with um, the advent of a lot of sugar in diets and and their appetite for and their tolerance for sugar is pretty high. And you look at all those energy drinks, etc. So um, criminal. Yeah. Something I really never thought of. Never thought that those beers were sweet on, yeah, the, yeah. on the radar. But uh, well, I guess when was the last time you had a, a VB? Oh, look, it wasn't that long ago. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was doing a bit of renovation and I had a hard-earned thirst. Did it go down well? It bloody did. I was thirsty and I loved one it. One of my like seriously, one of my favourite beer like memories of all time is after playing cricket all day in the yeah. field on a summer's day. Getting back into the rooms and cracking a can of VB was just magic going down my throat, passing my lips. It was magical. And it is a hard earned thing. Well, the, it's I horses for courses. We had a, an example today. We, Emma and I biked to the Hop House and we got a Vine Stuff and Fest beer, which is a, a sweet beer. Yep, so, sweet Merzen, I um, guess. Yeah. And it's, what, 22 degrees, 21, 22 degrees out there. We biked 40 minutes. Sunny day, yeah. Smashed it. It was great. What, did you, what were your thoughts on that? It was a. I um my initial thoughts were that I didn't actually like it. Oh. I, I, yeah, just sorry. Just my argument. Ruin the moment in the. You know podcast. what? Like, but you know what I think? In those sorry. Stein glasses, the way that you hold it with your whole hand, it's a very jovial experience. Ah, yeah, yeah. Don't you think? I felt jovial yeah. in that moment. Yeah. It's a very man thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like it just goes down easy because, I don't know, you're using your whole... Well, your you've whole, got a fist. All your digits yeah, are putting, yeah. into, putting it down. I yeah. think I would have preferred a Schoffer Hoffer. Okay, they had that on tap. I, I know, think. I saw them and I was envious of those that were drinking <laughs> it. I'm like, I don't want this festive crap. <laughs> I want a Schoff. Yeah. But your point before, Dave, about where you're experiencing something... Ha- I mean, it's, it's such a branding um, or branded experience kind of point to be making because uh, it really influences your perception. And, uh, you know, so does the moment come into consideration when you're marketing, like the, the moment that you're drinking it? Yeah, I think uh, if we're talking about branded experiences, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, speaking from experience I went on a fishing trip uh, once uh, off Fraser Island and it was the first time I had 4x gold and for me it created such an affinity with that with that brand and because anytime I had it just reminded me of that holiday that you know that two weeks you know rock fishing off Fraser Island so that's kind of and I think that's just the that's a point it's a point about um, a branded experience is always a much more saturated one because it involves all of the senses and that's what wineries have been doing for years and years and years mm. and uh, that's why brew pub you know great brew pubs do so well 
Well, uh, we don't see much marketing from like craft breweries in terms of there's you know no TV advertising to speak of yep. um, outside of the major players and you know how, I guess how how does a craft brewery market the moment uh, events? Yeah, so um, you know Gab's great opportunities and um, you know doing tastings and a uh, yeah uh, pairing up with um, you know good food and food and beer experiences they're, they're great opportunities for you know, brands to get out there how would you advise a, like a, a microbrewery to try and uh, on like a no marketing budget to create that narrative create that brand that the you know the big breweries seem to be able to cultivate uh, obviously they have a lot of money behind them in terms of marketing but you know what advice would you give to a small brewery that um, I think I think um, Wolf in the Willows has done an awesome job with their labelling and stuff, where they've you know created a lovely looking brand that they can then you know take somewhere in terms of you know it's very simple. It's a, it's a, a silhouette of a wolf. Yep. There's scope to you know create a narrative behind that. Uh, how would you you know how would you approach a small microbrewery and how would you instruct them to create that narrative yeah okay I, I, I think it's about utilizing your canvases for expression and um, making them work really hard for you and so understanding that and let's just use the retail um, side of things uh, for, na- for now so understand um, your primary bottle and and, you, and what's the purpose of the primary bottle? It's to drink your experience. It's something they hold in the hand. They put it to their mouth. That's where you want to dial in the most authenticity attached to the brand. Beyond that, in terms of your six-pack and your, and your carton, you can, be, uh, you can use that canvas for expression and, and dial in your brand story even further. So elaborate on what that brand story is. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, you know, the, the craft brewers have a wonderful opportunity at the moment in terms of social media and the web. I mean, use technology. Technology is your friend. Um, so you can be creating uh, EDMs and blogs. And, and, you know, if you're active on the ground, which these guys have to be, um, tell the story and bring it to life, you know, using Instagram, Facebook and, you know, uh, That's definitely all those platforms. It's, it's such minimal spend. Um, return on investment mm. is massive. Uh, you sort of um, you mentioned the word authenticity. Yeah. So on the flip side of that, where you have uh, big breweries, yep. and I think you mentioned earlier on in the show about how uh, one of the big brands only Corona was in the market, so they wanted to enter that market with something else. That doesn't come from an authentic place. That's coming from a place of wanting to make money. So from a brand perspective, how do you take that motivation? And give it authenticity. Was that in, in the, the club space? Is that what you were mentioning before? Uh, we were talking about, well, yeah, we're talk- yeah. yeah, we're talking about Carlton Drive. Yeah, okay. So how do you flip that? How do you say, problems. okay, you, you, you're coming from a, you know, you want to make money. Because, sorry to jump in, but Corona's marketing is about being authentically, like they have that from where you'd rather be yeah. thing, which is that, I guess, that sense of place. Whereas, you say. Yeah, how do you inject authenticity in a brand when there isn't any to begin with? Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> that's a tricky question. Uh, our job, uh, well, for, for example, if 
someone was coming to uh, to me or, or an agency and, and wants to start a brand, mm. well, there's a brand. It's it's about leveraging and uh, and understanding what that brand story and what the motivations are, what the vision is, all that sort of that sort of thing. And it generally comes from a very authentic place. Um, you know, uh, you know, if someone doesn't have that within them, then you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't encourage them to go and do it. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, there's certainly tools and techniques for uh, extracting uh, those kind of brand stories. But, um, you know, for something like a Tui's Extra Dry or, or a Carlton Dry, yeah, that is that is about marketing and positioning mm. uh, and coming up with, you know, they don't have a lot of depth as a brand story. Mm. You know, the, the liquid is what the liquid is. Um, so are those, like, what... I'm trying to think of how to phrase the question. I, I think for are me, the, what are, are the club are the club beers like Corona? Did Corona run away with that? So there's been some other clear <laughs> bottle presented beers to run with that. Like, why are those beers the ones that are in demand in that environment? Uh, it bec- clear clear glass become a bit of a category cue for yep. dry dry style. Is that yeah, purely just off the back of whatever the reason that Corona took off? Yeah, Corona and Soul and yeah. Yeah, various others. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Also, the, I guess the the flavour of them is so low. Squeeze in some lemon, you're at a club. Yeah, okay, fair enough. There's that sort of... Yeah, all right, I get that. So, I guess it's... Uh, and I think uh, you mentioned earlier, so that chicken and egg scenario where, you know, um, the brand builds on that iconic thing that they have over the years of, of that whole scenario and then that's the selling point in it. Yeah, it's also about um, you're talking about marketing beer to you know, 18 to 24 year olds and they don't want to drink what their dad's drinking and dad's drinking brown glass and all that mm. sort of that's stuff. That's a good so point. Their yeah. dad would never drink Corona. <laughs> <laughs> My dad wouldn't anyway. <laughs> no, but I think that's accurate though. Yeah, It's funny because I actually, you know, when I started my drinking life I started drinking beer that I knew that my dad drank when he was young so I'm the opposite I gravitated towards I must have thought my dad was cultured and had a cultivated taste but what was the beer VV (laughs) (laughs) it was VV but tribally if we think of um yeah, kids growing up, they're, yeah. they're always in the anti-opposition Yeah, it's a pretty to, primal to what their parents yeah. reaction. This is what my dad, I'm not going to do that. This yeah. is what I'm going to do. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's category. So they're playing to the category of this is a beer for you yeah. and it's owned by you and your tribe. It's not, it's not, yeah, um, what your dad's drinking. And just or, or a different generation, it's, it's for you. And yeah, that's how yeah. it's presented to them. Touching back on the... Um, the beer for the experience. Uh, I've got another very evocative experience when I, I travelled in Mexico for six months and for an inexplicable reason, because the tastes are very similar, but for any like for any reason, I've got a real love for the beer Pacifico. Yep. And it's just a pale lager that you have with lime or whatever there, but like it evokes such a memory of me being on a beautiful beach in the humid heats and that. And I think a lot of people that travel buy those again because it gives them those memories. Um, that, I've had people come to me and say, oh, I was over in Cambodia, I was over in South America and I had this beer, where can I get it in Melbourne? Just say don't. 
like yeah, exactly. leave it as a no, memory. Well, I mean, like, yeah, and and, right. and get it because you're gonna get it here, and it's like, oh, okay, this is not. But, but I think, what I remember. I think what you're after in that in that scenario is to get transported back to the memory rather than enjoy the beer itself. Yeah, okay, that's because that's like because I because Pacifico wasn't available here for years after I got back, and then when it was, I bought a case of it and I invited a mate that I travelled with around, and we bought it. And it wasn't good, but instantly we were back in Mexico, yeah. just straight away. It was so, wonderful. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. But also, your sense of smell is the most evocative sense and transports you mm-hmm. f- in terms of it's the strongest memory, memory recollection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it's that first sip when we shoved yeah. a wedge of lime in it, just before we even sipped it. We're there. Yeah, back that's on the it. beach. Well, that's what you bought the case for. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very cheap holiday. Yeah, true. So you also do the branding for Stone and Wood, is that? Yeah, Yeah. so um, I knew the guys. uh, So I kind of met Brad, but I knew Jamie um, before when they were just uh, cultivating their business plan, essentially. Mm. Um, And always kept in touch, and uh, they invited me up to do uh, their MASH collective Mm -hmm. uh, last year. So I did the Heartbreaker with them. Okay, what, what was that beer? I remember that, that coming out, but I can't remember what it was. Uh, it's a it's a red ale, uh, but it's um, yeah. There was a twist on it, wasn't it? There's a twist yeah. on it. Yeah, it's with um, native Australian uh, Kwandong and a bit of pepperberry in in the actual brew. Yeah, so um, I was a part of uh, a part of that group with two other two other guys. So mm. I was the least famous, <laughs> if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I was the guy so who's like, who's this? <laughs> Who are the two other guys? Um, so, Darren Middleton from Powderfinger. Oh, yeah. A, uh, ah. So, singer-songwriter, guitarist. Um, and I've met him once before. He's a really good guy. Yeah. How have you met him? Yeah. Sure. Uh, he's wheeling and dealing in circles. He was at a gig at, at Toff just as a spectator. And I was, uh, growing up, I was a huge Powderfinger fan. I was recognised him at the bar and said, g'day. Probably because I'd had one beer more than I <laughs> would normally have. That would go, don't do that. Yeah. Don't say hi to him. Why would you do that? Um, and, yeah, he was... Genuinely nice guy. Yeah, yeah all right. Yeah. And the other fellow was an Indigenous Australian chef who'd mm. been uh, working with Indigenous ingredients. Uh, he's got a show on SBS. I think it's called Native Kitchen or no Wild Kitchen. I think. Uh, and yeah, he was awesome. So it was really what he was bringing to the table as well. But that was such a, a wonderful, amazing experience to go and yeah. you know brain brewstorm they call it and just kick around some ideas, try beers and. And, and come up with that and craft a beer and then go and brew it with them. And then I did the, the, the labels and uh, yeah, the pack work for those guys. Mm. It was kind of at that opportunity where, sorry, at the time the opportunity rose. Yeah. And they asked me to start getting more involved with what they're doing. So, mm. yeah, I do. I, I design all their, their pack and brand work now. Yeah. So probably the, the stuff I've been working on most recently is uh, the latest cloud catcher that come out i've just done the forefathers so what was the direction from the with the forefathers the direction yeah well it's really uh it's a celebration of uh, phil's well the, the whole concept of forefathers is, is a commemoration and you know and honoring the you know the founding fathers of craft beer in this country um so that's kind of the platform uh but given the birth of it was you know, kind of kicking around the 80s. It's a bit of a, a modern homage to um, traditional beer, but it's all hand-drawn, so, you know, it's got a bit of a contemporary edge to it. And, you know, of course, the cheers glass is saying thank you. Yes. The, um, yeah, the branding for that is definitely a, 
It's exactly what you should describe it. Yeah, that, that exactly, hits that yeah. brief when I look at it. Um, it's exactly that moment or that, that, that sort of your dad's beer but looks modernised. And yeah. And the beer itself, um, have you tried that no, one, Dave? No, Did you try it when I had it? Ever? I don't know. Did I? I don't think you did. I think you got home and I had the end of the bottle left. Uh, typical. Um, Is that a good sign? <laughs> yeah, it was really good. It was tradition, like typically stone and wood in the sense that you're not gonna. It's not gonna blow your face off. It's not gonna stand out. But it had a really beautiful toffee flavour. Have you have you tried it? Yeah. 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 Yep. I, what what I, did you think of it? I'd say it's um it's quite sophisticated and it's quite delicate in some yeah, ways. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of beer you drink all of it without even thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's yeah. like all the stone would be. Yeah, though. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like uh, I guess Townsend to we I spoke yeah, to yeah, true. on the sh- show a few episodes ago and. Yeah, you, f- you finish a pint of it and you wouldn't even... But if you wanted to think about it, you could get a lot out of it. Yeah, yeah. A lot of subtlety going on and that's how I found it. Yeah. yeah. If you wanted a big a big brown, it, it wasn't that. What is it was that more kind of an of ESB kind of Would you have approached that? that in the labelling as well? Like that... No, the, the brew... Rather than being in your face, it's... Uh, no, it was pretty much briefed as, as I just described it and... Um, yeah, the brew styles will change from year to year depending on what they're doing. It was the yeah, the the branding is more is less about the liquid, it's more about the the concept mm. of what they of what it, the liquid's about. Yeah. What the collaborations about, I should say. Um, so what what brands um, and I, I guess we can go probably get everyone's opinion on this. Uh, we'll, start, we'll start with you Damien. What yep. brands that you haven't worked on um, do you really like? Oh, good question. Uh, I think I like to see, if we're talking craft, I like to see guys doing doing it well. Um, so I think uh, it's about carving out your own story and telling it in a unique way. And the brands that do that well, I think Moondog do a, a great job. I think the guys at Kaiju do a great job. I think that's quite polarised. Um, but that you know that's here nor there. You're talking about craft beer, so... Uh, it's a narrow field anyway. Um, Especially with those two, they kind of make their beers almost to be polarising, so that's fine, yeah. Yeah, but I guess they're memorable and they're, um, you you can find them and you can shop those brands because they have a, a strong language mm-hmm. that's attached to them. I can find them mm. anywhere. It doesn't matter what the beer is or what style or what's differentiated, I can find them. Uh, it's, it's the brands that take kind of a wildly different approach each time but there's no kind of congruency there that's really going to struggle in the marketplace um i guess what i'm saying is the guys that put effort in that um where the what's on pack honors the effort that's going into the liquid i really like but you know i'm coming at it from two different points of view a consumer and also um you know from a design point of view well that uh, that one you mentioned though the ones that sort of have a a sort of almost split personality in terms of what beers they're putting out, and Matilda Bay we've discussed off mic, where they're I don't know what their brand is supposed to be, and and they're all over the shop, and it's almost lost in the wilderness when you look at I guess their equivalent is James Squire or Little Creatures, um, where they have a pretty locked in brand, and then you look at Matilda Bay, and I had a Matilda Bay beer last night that I'd never heard of. It's been around for a year or so. Um, the Ducks. Oh, yeah. the ducks nuts or something. Yeah, that, and I read it? the back of it, and it says, you know, this is a homage or it's a Australian pale ale, and it's, we think it's the ducks nuts. And 
I think I text you. It Dave. is funny because yeah, you did text me. Yeah, I text Dave and I'm like, oh, I'm drinking the ducks and it's supposed to be the ducks nuts. And then I, I clicked that it's a tie-in with their other beer, the Bee's Knees, because that's uh, it's like the first connection we've ever had between any two Matilda babies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was a, uh, I don't know. It seems like a strange brand, and they're kind of lost in the, in the wilderness in that sense. That's all I have to say about Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think the the yeah, I think the the greater travesty is um, Cascade mm. and what that business has done with Cascade. I think it's a it should be you know it's the building is probably national treasure. The brand should be a national treasure. And uh, is Matilda Bay being brewed out of Cascade now? Uh, yes, since the South Melbourne closure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'm talking about that brand. Yeah, 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 of course. Um, I think that's how that's been managed or mismanaged. Well, uh, yeah, I guess pre pre me being a sort of a craft beer nerd, Cascade was one of the beers that I'd sort of gravitate to and it it did did have a strong brand and it was different enough to be different, I think. Um, But now I don't even see it and I don't know where I can get it and it's I actually recall like maybe five years ago there was a time where they released one vintage of their Cascade Harvest and there was a buzz about it and it was a good beer and I was like oh I think Cascade are about to come back into relevancy and then that was the last I ever remember them being well they did a big PR thing where they invited a whole bunch of media beer media to go and do the first Harvest beer and which is it's and it was e- pretty good, right? Easy the PR beer? and cheap yeah. PR for a company like that. And oh yeah, I don't think they really capitalised on it the next year. And now I, I think that might have been it. a couple of years after the one that I'm thinking of, though. But I remember like buying the beer itself and going, "This is pretty good. Like this is all right." So maybe they're back on the right track. And then like they were not to be heard of again. Yeah. But that's their first harvest has been going for ten years. Mm. I saw them on tap when we were in for a burger the other day. Uh, and it was the Cascade Harvest beer, but it wasn't on tap anymore. They changed right. and they hadn't changed their tap list, so I didn't, didn't get to try it. Good story. Yeah, good one. Yeah. Um, what brands resonate with you? Um, I guess, like, the obvious ones would be Yeasty Boys and Garage Project, just because they, you know, they have such personality and they really... Sorry, sorry to butt in. Damon, you are saying about, um, you are saying about, like... The stories on social media and Yeasty Boys are a great example of that. Where wonderful, everyone, yeah. every beer person that knows social media knows Stu really well. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're. They are themselves as much of a presence as their product, which I think works because their product is so good. I don't think that it's a you know one fits all size. I don't think you know every brewery could do that because you you know you need to have the beer to back up you know the, the personality. Um, but in terms of something local, I really like, and I've mentioned it before, I really like Wolf in the Willows. I think I'm really big on narrative in branding and I really like that they've built, you know, their name comes from, you know, you know, has a, has a narrative behind it and they've, cr- they've cultivated a character in the wolf and that just, there's so much scope to take that across, you know, across, you know, the packaging and their marketing and I just think there's, you know, it's endless. I just think it's really clever. And anyone that listened to our last episode will find they're just lovely people as and well. And they're lovely, yeah. Which yeah. helps infinitely, I think. Um, and it looks as though, their packaging looks as though, and being a designer, it looks as though they let the designer 
design. It looks like it's been designed in a sense mm. in that they've let someone do the work that they don't have the expertise in. Yeah. And, you know, you got to love that. I feel like you've been micro... I know that you've been micromanaged over the years. Yes. <laughs> yeah, every designer has. So yeah. when you get that opportunity to actually do what it is that you're trained to do, and that I think that that packaging speaks to that sort of, you know, good relationship between marketer, designer and mm. brand manager, product owner. It is a really like visually appealing range though. Well, you see them in the bottle shop and you can see all three see them, standing yeah. out. I think what uh, in particular the India Saison, because of the yellow label, it is a huge contrast between the brown bottle. It just yeah. sticks out. It's beautiful. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I was going to have them as my choice for Emma Stone, my thunder. Yeah. So um, <laughs> the other one that I'll mention uh, is Doc. At doctor's orders, his um, new new labels. His new well, his package labels are very definitive. And what he always suckers me into is when I'm buying his beers. He doesn't release that many that often, so I'll go. Oh, there's Doc's beer. Oh, well, I've already had that one. But I'm always drawn in to find out if that's the same beer because I f- like. I mean, he does have a a color system, and and people that buy his beers often will recognize this. But because I'm an idiot. Um, I don't recognise it immediately, so but I just see his very distinctive logo and go, oh, what's Doc's latest beer? So you're tapping into what, um, in terms of branding mechanics, mm-hmm. there's creating meaning and building recognition. And so the two fundamentals in creating or building recognition is shape and colour. Mm-hmm. So it's like the squint your eye test. It's like, you know... The golden arches, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. It's creating a strong visual pattern on shelf, and that's how you create standout. Yeah. Well, that's, um, in Doc's brand to me reminds me of Hill Farmstead, the, yes, the yeah, definitely. famous American brewery, and similar shape, and, and basically it's just different colours. Very simple. Um, very uh, simple. Yeah, yeah. Design. And it's yeah. squint your eye teeth. You can see a, a Hill Farmstead beer or a, or a Wolf of the Willows beer or a, a Doc beer from a mile away, and Right now, and I think we talked about this off mic, the, there's so much noise out there. You know, you walk into a, a bottle shop, it's got a lot of beers, and to cut through all of that noise, yeah, it's the squint test. If you can squint your be- eyes yep. and pick one beer that you know, you're going to go for a, a dock or a, a wolf. Yeah. In, in uh, FMCG land, so grocery, you've got about 2.9 seconds of consideration with um, shopability. Uh, probably got a bit more in craft beer in terms of um, depending on who it is, the, the craft consumer analysing the shelf. But yeah, it's not it's not much. So if people can't find you, they can't buy you. Mm. And so shelf standout's really important. And it's um, you know it's one half of the equation. It's that uh, building recognition and awareness mm. and and that strong visual pattern in people's minds. Mm. Uh, that icon um, uh, and in creating meaning, as you say, Emma, that's that's really critical as well. But mm. yeah, there's from a retail point of view, um, that's important. It, but it's sort of branding models, horses for courses. It's uh, if your brand's a, a local, regional brew pub, and you, you know you're only out locally, it's, that isn't as critical, and, and and that's okay, that's fine. It's just is it getting more critical now that though there's the internet where you know if someone finds a good beer in one pub. And a, and a little brew pub in the middle of nowhere. Yep. Um, and, I, and I'm going to reference Hill Farmstead again because they're that. They only sell basically out of their little brew yeah. pub, but they're known globally because of a amazing beer. But also mm-hmm. their brand is kind of recognisable. So I think it, I guess my question would be: Is that coming 
more recognisable or more important now that it's a global... I think your branding, your brand strategy should reflect your, your business plan, your business strategy. And it's really about how, where your, where your scalability or how your growth or how your distribution, um, you know, what those channels are. And it's, you know, you're designing to meet that, to meet that need, to meet that purpose. So when I talk about that, it's kind of more hardcore um, branding, creating meaning and building recognition. I guess I'm talking more retail mm. um, and thinking more broadly, well, you know, with 250 breweries coming on board, we're sitting at around 5% in the market. Uh, 2020, they want to grow to, you know, 10% of the market. They're, they're the kind of projections. Um, coming out of the CBIA conference, if you look at the volume and, and just assume that all the players that are there are going to grow uh, on the same curve that they currently are, then it, um, it leaves a massive hole. It's something to the tune of 60 million litres for all the really small guys. If you take, you know, the four or five massive independents kind of out, um, that they're going to have to fund and fill. And, and to do that, they're going to have to invest in their branding and good, strong brand building because... I think there'll be a consolidation that will happen in you know national accounts and those kind of guys. So how are you going to compete aggressively for shelf space is, well, you're going to have to invest much more in getting, in getting all that stuff right. Can we uh, go and discuss what brands we think have missed the mark? What, what do you have in mind? Well, I, I wanted to be controversial and say that I disagree with doctor's orders Um, just in terms of I don't think his packaging matches what he's doing in terms of the beer he's brewing I think what do you think the missed mark is I think that his um, packaging is very sterile but he brews some fantastic weird wonderful things and I think that needs to be the focus of his brand not so I guess are you saying like Moondog have their packaging is quite out there and their beers are out there whereas his beers are uni- his packaging's uniform yeah his I, th- I think his package I think he could afford himself a little bit more personality because he puts that personality into his product his beers are wonderful and amazing and weird and delicious and sometimes not so delicious but I still want I'll, I'll try anything he brews because I'm, I know I'm gonna it's gonna be an experience good bad and I don't think that's reflected in his branding and I think that's a missed opportunity for him. It's a good. I actually agree yeah, with that. I think it's valid. Yeah, you've, you've sold that. Yeah, it's probably true of a few brands kicking around out there. Um, certainly, some of the things that you know, working on any beer branding project is to bring mm. uh, a sense of uh, warmth and humanness to those brands. Mm. Uh, when brands get really cold and really, st- I think the word you used was sterile, which is sort of bang on. Um, they can be pretty alienating, and they don't feel. Um, they're just not that approachable. Mm. And so, depending on who the consumer is, if you're an avid craft guy and you know that brand by your reputation, you'll pick it up kind of regardless. But um, they're not very, uh, yeah, not very approachable, not very welcoming. And, and there's mm. others that, you know, can kind of name, but I don't think I want to go down that path and <laughs> start denigrating. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we could uh, keep going on all afternoon, but I feel like we'll notice we're coming up to the end of our AU time. So let's uh, wrap it up here. Damien, where can people find you if they want to get in touch and 
Oh, I, What's uh, your address? Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez, uh, you can find me uh, probably emails best um, yep. d dot kelly so k e l l y underscore design uh, dot com is um, yeah excellent. I welcome any. I work for an agency part time and uh, I do my own give thing part time. Give them a plug. Oh, Bonnie Creative. Cool. We'll put a link to them on our website as well. Cheers. Thank you. Um, Dave, where well, can we find first you? of all, we're not oh. doing any recommendations today, but yeah. I feel compelled that I have to mention that the last beer that I bought is the Little Creatures Return of the Dread, which is a seven Delicious. or so percent stout, and it's magnificent. It's coffee, chicory, um, just a roasty stout with a dry finish, and it's fantastic. So if you see it around, I don't know if it's being packaged. I haven't heard anything. No, it's, it's packaged. It is? It's actually coming to the end of its lifespan. Is it? In terms of... Um, so I'm just way off the mark. Yeah, yeah it's been around wise. for like two or three months and that was Any, their winter seasonal. But like, we, without doubt, it's a Aren't wonderful... Aren't you on a podcast? Aren't you supposed to be up to the minute? And no, I'm talent. I don't actually have to listen to anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talent. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah but you can find me on yeah, Twitter at MelbDave uh, or the same thing on Instagram uh, and you can find uh, the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash time. Um... I don't know, send me an email at daveatalevertime.com if you want. Emma, where can we find you? Nowhere, I'm aloof. All right. That's a lie, I know we can find you somewhere. Yeah, Emma at alevertime.com if you want, yeah. Oh, I don't know my Twitter. Oh, you're at Emma Bimrose? Am I? I, I don't know. So. Is it with there's no Emma underscore? Emmabimrose.com, can we still find you there? Yes, yeah. Okay, yeah, emmabimrose.com yeah. for her graphic design. Um, thank you to Toe Hider. Theme music for all the Toe music Hider. in the breaks. We love you guys. Yeah. Um, Aren't they on tour or just the lead singer in just Amsterdam? The, uh, I'm not sure if it's an official Toe Hider thing. Give a plug if you're in Amsterdam. Yeah, if you're in Amsterdam now, today, you might see Toe Hider when we release this a week later. Let um, us know if you use that recommendation because I'd be keen to hear. Which one? If they heard that one just then and went to Amsterdam and saw yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you can find me at Al of a Time and alloftime.com for everything else. Thank you so much and thank you Damien and thank you Emma. Thank you. Pleasure. Yeah, thanks guys. Thank you so much.